Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 60. If I made a mistake, uh, last episode was episode 59. This is episode 60. So um, this is now the readings for um, Friday after Ash Wednesday. So if you like what I do and you think I'm doing a good job, please subscribe and share. Let's begin with the act of contrition. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kiri elision, kiri elision, kiri elision, Christe elision, Christe elision, Christe elision. Kiri elision, kiri elision, kiri elision. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One, have mercy on us and the whole world. Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Holy Immortal One, have mercy on us and the whole world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so uh, now we're into the Friday after Ash Wednesday. So uh, I hope it's a good start for all of you. Um, we're going to we're going to be visiting uh, a reading that we went through in the uh, the Divine Office, Isaiah fifty eight. Except it's going to be a little bit shorter. I think that one was from one to twelve. This is from one to verse one to nine. Okay. Okay, a reading from <clears throat> book. Of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, verse 1 to 9. Is this the manner of fasting I wish? Thus says the Lord God, cry out full-throated and unsparingly. Lift up your voice like a trumpet blast. Tell my people their wickedness and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and desire to know my ways like a nation that has done what is just and not abandoned the law of their God. They ask me to declare what is due to them. Please to gain access to God. Why do we fast and you do not see it? Afflict ourselves and you take no note of it. <clears throat> Lo, 
on your fast day you carry out your own pursuits and drive all your laborers. Yes, your fast ends in quarreling and fighting, striking with wicked claw. Would that today you might fast so as to make your voice heard on high. Is this the manner of fasting I wish, of keeping a day of penance? That a man bow his head like a reed and lie in sackcloth and ashes? Do you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? This rather is the fasting that I wish, releasing those bound unjustly, untying the thongs of the yoke, setting free the oppressed, breaking every yoke, sharing your bread with the hungry and sheltering the oppressed and the homeless, clothing the naked when you see them and not turning your back on your own. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your wound shall quickly be healed. Your vindication shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard then you shall call, the Lord will answer, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'll read it one more time. Isaiah 58. Thus says the Lord God, Cry out full-throated and unsparingly. Lift up your voice like a trumpet blast. Tell my people their wickedness and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and desire to know my ways like a nation that has done what is just and not abandoned the law of their God. They ask me to declare what is due to them. Please God, to uh, please, please to gain access to God. They're pleased to gain access to God. Why do we fast and you do not see it? Afflict ourselves and you take no note of it. Lo, on your fast days you carry out your own pursuits and drive and drive all your laborers. Yes, your fast ends in quarreling and fighting, striking with wicked claw. Would that today you might fast so as to make your voice heard on high. Is this the manner of fasting I wish, of keeping a day of penance, that a man bow his head like a reed and lie in sackcloth and ashes? Ashes. Do you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? This rather is the fasting I wish, releasing those bound unjustly, untying the thongs of the yoke, setting free the oppressed, breaking every yoke, sharing your bread with the hungry, sheltering the oppressed and the homeless, clothing the naked when, they, when, when you see them, and not turning your back on your own. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your wound shall quickly be healed. Your vindication shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, you should cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For the um, Ash Wednesday, uh, I read the Divine Office reading, and it was Isaiah 58. And um, well, pretty much 
I mean, because Israel, when they moved further and further away, um, a certain level of hypocrisy. I mean, let's let's face it. We got some people on the right that are absolutely very rigid. They can get, you can be almost like a Pharisee, and they could be all rules, but empty of God. You know, strict. You can even get people both in the the Novus Ordo and the traditional Catholic. I mean, there are there are you know it can it can happen to anybody. But then you can get people on the far 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 left that can take something like Isaiah fifty eight and turn it into a social that become social justice activists. All justice, all activism, and no empty of God. It could happen. I mean, like in Jesus' day, you got the Pharisees, right? Who are all interpretation, all rules. Uh, you got the Sadducees, who are the high priests, uh, the ones in charge of the, they're, they're the party with, who mostly in charge with the temple. The, high, the, the priesthood, they were all pretty much in charge of the temple. They were all ritual and pretty much empty of scripture, empty of God, empty of the, of the spirit of God. And then you can get the revolutionaries who, are, who you can say are the political activists who want to liberate Israel, who want to get rid of the Romans. And they're all revolutionaries. They're all, you know, purging kind of like an Antipa. And they claim to be that they're on the right, but empty of God, empty of mercy, empty of anything, just filled with violence. You can get, you can get people on both ends and they can be completely wrong. Sometimes on all four corners, they're all completely wrong. They're fasting Obviously, to God doesn't always necessarily have to mean obviously not eating or drinking, although those things are good for self-discipline and self-control. And God does want us to control our lower appetites, our carnal nature. We have a great desire for food. We have a great desire for drink. We have a great desire for pleasure and sensualness. These things were made that way. There's nothing wrong with it. But when it's done properly... But there's also another kind of fasting, which is go out and help people. Go out and look to those people who have been, not been shown mercy. Who, you know, sometimes, look, everybody needs to hear the word of God. But what good is preaching the word of God to somebody who's hungry? What good is preaching the word of God if that person needs a new pair of shoes? What good is preaching the word of God if that person is cold? Even James himself points this out, that you need, you need to have both. Your faith needs to produce works. You need to go out there and you need to help that, that person. You can't help everybody, but you can get a bunch of people together. And some people have more resources than others. And they may be happy to share those resources. But try to do it without, I mean, without 
making that for person feel obligated. Sometimes they're not ready to hear the gospel, but what they are ready is to see the gospel in action. Then you may have an effect on them. I remember my friend Henry said to me once, a priest said to him, you don't know why God put you on earth. It could be to say the right thing to the, to the person at the right time, at the right moment that could change a person's life. I remember, I remember that. And the thing is, that's something we have to remember. Sometimes action, God's, God speaks in action better than words. And then sometimes those actions can produce the right opportunity for the word to be heard. You got to remember that it's not always, it's not, it's not for us. It's for the Holy Spirit. But some people come at somebody with the scriptures and that's not exactly the right moment. It's not the moment for them. You don't know what state of mind they're in, but that's what they need. If a mother is seriously in trouble and she doesn't have enough food to feed her kids, to put food on the table, and she doesn't have the money to pay for the, for the heat, or maybe she's worried that she's going to be evicted. Preaching the Bible to her at that moment may not be what she needs. She may need to see the scripture in action. She may need to see, she, she needs to see faith in action. I'm not saying we, we're not all capable of saving everybody, but some of us have other, I mean, you know, financially to help them what I mean. But what I'm saying is, is that sometimes we got people among us that may have the resources. It could be more than two people. It could be three people. It could be more. It could be a bunch of people combined together that could help somebody, you know, in a proper way. In, in, in every way. Some people may even know to go around things in the city that could help this person. And sometimes some of us have the resource. Like I said, if there's a food pantry in the church, what better place? Sometimes it's safer. People feel safer to go to a church food pantry than to go to a city pantry. Because a lot of times you have city workers that are like spiders they're willing to grab somebody, and a lot of times parents are afraid of being separated with their from their kids, and it's not right to separate them. Obviously, we're not talking about like on the border, but we're talking about citizens. We're talking we're talking about people within the city, within <clears throat> in the country. Sometimes city, um, city pe uh, people who work for the system are not always the best. But I'm saying if a church can provide, if people can get together and make that food, that, that church pantry a good, you know, make good resources there. Some of us, some people can combine their money together. It doesn't cost that much. It won't hurt anyone financially. Go down to a Costco and buy bags of rice, cereal, cans of beans, unperishable stuff, maybe even diapers. For, for babies. Sometimes someone can go out and get a bunch of gloves and coats, 
shoes, sneakers, socks, if everybody can put their money together in the, in the, in, in, in the parish, it could be a great resource when people hear about it. And what, what better place? Because Christians have always been, that's how we changed the Roman Empire. That's how we converted a pagan Roman Empire by combining these things, you know, by, <clears throat> by, be, by going out there when a plague came in and, and maybe you might find kids without parents. It was the Christians who prevented them from being exploited. And when elderly people didn't have anybody to take care of them, it was the Christians who went out and helped them. It's possible to do it. And we can do it. And, and it's, it's, it's always, you know, in Christ, we can do all things. Like Jesus said, give without asking for a reward. And sometimes do it without waiting for a thank you. It's possible and you could you could wind up really impressing people and making people feel safe and secure and that's that's some way that's a way of putting of, of actually bringing christ to others in this fashion all right let's go to the psalm okay now today for friday it's a friday and guess what usually on during the liturgy of the hours Psalm 51 uh, is prayed. So, psalm 51, which is uh, a psalm of contrition. It's asking for forgiveness. It always prepares us. Uh, the, the liturgy, both the liturgy and the liturgy of the hours, and the church always does this. Even if you prayed the, let's say, the little office of the Virgin Mary, which is with the psalms, it always prepares you for um, confession for contrition for getting ready to receive Holy Communion on Sundays. All right, so the response for Psalm 51 is the responsorial is uh, a heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. Have mercy on me, O God, in your goodness, in the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my offense. Thoroughly wash me from my guilt, and of my sin cleanse me. A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. For I acknowledge my offense, and my sin is before me always. Against you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. For you are not pleased with sacrifices. Should I offer a burnt offering, you would not accept it. Sorry. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit. A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. All right, so let me read it all, all through again. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, in your goodness. In the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my offense. Thoroughly wash me from my guilt, and of my sin cleanse me. 
for I acknowledge my offense, and my sin is before me always. Against you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. For you are not pleased with sacrifices. Should I offer a burnt offering, you would not accept it. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit. A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. So, you see here, even centuries ago, King David himself figured it out. All those things, the, the sacrifices, the burnt offerings, they're good. They're good expression of faith. Uh, a lamb, I mean, that's, I mean, it's not cheap. A, go, a, a goat or a lamb, uh, you know, a part of your livestock offering up as a sacrifice is costly. Even a, a, a bull. They often not sacrifice a cow or a bull. You have to find a perfect one, one that is without blemish, that doesn't have any like unclean mark. Uh, the category that they asked for was very serious because it has to represent absolutely a perfection, which is a type picture of foretelling of Christ, meaning no sin. You know, I mean, the animal probably is perfectly fine. I mean, if you probably talk to a modern veterinarian, they'll say, well, that's just a minor thing. It's not, it's not, it doesn't affect the animal completely, but still what it is, it means it represents also hiding any sin. And in later on in many years, the Israelites try to go around it by actually keeping the best animal and getting rid of the ones that could be lame you know, maybe they might be limping or they might be sick or blind or something. Something is wrong with them. And that they would sneak past it, maybe bribe the priest a little bit. And, and they would sacrifice that on the altar, which was a sign, uh, which is a, still a reflection of their own corrupt heart. You see what I'm saying? It's a way of hiding your sin, not really being sincere. And often those sincere actions, those, I mean, those insincere actions often reflected on a social level. Like you see, abusing, like we saw in Isaiah 58, abusing people, cheating people, um, you know, not, not, um, not ending the debt when it was called to end, uh, not paying people when they should be paid, exploiting people which we see happens today a lot in our society. Uh, much of the, of the breakdown of our own society today is because there's a breakdown morally in us because of our own sins. I mean, it's showing more sexually. Look how obsessed everyone is about sexuality. Look how obsessed everyone is to, to change the definition of sexuality, this obsessed to change the definition of male and female. Look how people are constantly talking about uh, how some people are too rich and some people have too much of this and, and there should be a distribution of wealth. Uh, there should be a distribution. Uh, there should be a distribution of, of, of everything. There should be increase of, of jobs, but not looking at the fact that maybe our society right now is, is not economically well. Some of these changes can happen when, a, when, when there's a good economy, but there's constant envy. There's envy and like the commandment to, to want to covet, take 
what is not yours. Take what is doesn't belong to you. Even if that person is rich and, and maybe not morally good, it doesn't make it right. Because if we start taking from rich, what happens when we what happens when we start lowering our standards and wanting to take what belongs to somebody else, regardless if they're rich or not? Our society is breaking up. We're falling apart because we're spiritually falling apart. And there's a, that's a serious, serious problem. We have to fix it. And a lot of times it's up to us Christians to call people to repentance, also to put our faith into action. We are the salt and light of the world. Jesus himself said that we, we season things. We, we preserve values. That's what the words, that's what salt is preserving good, honest, noble values, godly values, virtues. And we are also the light of the world because we can help people. Jesus works through us. God works through us as seasoning and God works through us as light to bring common sense. And we have to put our faith in practice. We have to basically be accessible to people. We have to be accessible to others, not wear our faith on our, on our sleeve, not be prideful, not be uh, arrogant, but be uh, useful, be, a, be useful to them, be accessible to people. Make ourselves, like Jesus said, he who wants to make himself great should humble himself, make himself the least, the servant of all. And that's how we're going to win the culture back if we think that way but not social activism. No, we put Christ first, we put Christ in the middle, and we put we put our faith, Christ also last, Christ in the beginning, middle, and end throughout a whole day. And even if the bishops don't want to do this, then we can do it because lay people, we saved the church once before through heresies and a lot of turmoil. We can do it again. We can do it again. And maybe through us, we can also reform the priesthood reform reform the clergy by producing better men among us maybe we'll have to start our own catholic schools apart from the bishops with good priests and good bishops and good monks and good lay good good religious people that that also want to see the problem in the church we can do it okay God has done it before many times. These men, they bear no fruit. They're bad branches. They're sick branches. The Lord will cut them off and throw them to the fire. Okay? They're not, they, 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 they don't speak Christ. They don't express Christ in their actions, in their footsteps. They don't express Christ in their, in, in their behavior. They don't talk about sin. They don't talk about repentance. They don't talk about any of those things. Every tree that does not bear good fruit must be cut off and thrown into the fire. They're, they are ordained ministers. Legally, they are. Rightfully, they are. They're blessed. They have... They can say the they can say the 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 mass. They're 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 alto Christus. They are. But the problem is, their hearts are not there. They're they're sons of Judas's. They have a chance to repent before before the angel of death comes and gets them. But who knows? It's up to them. It depends how hardened their hearts are. 
you know, just like God hardened the heart of Pharaoh and hardened the heart of, of many leaders like Nebuchadnezzar and Herod the Great and Herod Antipas and Caesar. It's up to God. Let's go to the next, uh, to the gospel. Okay, the uh, verse before the gospel is uh, from um, Amos, I think the prophet Amos, chapter 5, verse 14. Seek good and not evil so that you may live and the Lord will be with you. Seek good and not evil so that you may live and the Lord will be with you. Seek good and not evil so that you may live and the Lord be, the, the Lord will be with you. Okay, so a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 9, verse 14 to 15. When the bridegroom is taken from them, then they will fast. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 9, verse 14 to 15. The disciples of John approached Jesus and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast much? But your disciples do not fast. Jesus answered them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast. Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One more time, a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 9, verse 14 to 15. When the bridegroom is taken from them, then they will fast. The disciples of John approached Jesus and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast much? But your disciples do not fast. Jesus answered them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast. All right, one more time. The disciples of John approached Jesus and said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast much? But your disciples do not fast. Jesus answered them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so this is something we're going to have to spend some time with. The disciples of John approached Jesus and said, Why do we... And the Pharisees fast much, but your disciples do not fast. Very interesting that the disciples of John would associate themselves with the Pharisees. It's like as though they didn't hear John um, tear the Pharisees apart. It's like they were. It's like it went past their their heads. They're justifying. They're they're criticizing and saying that you and your disciples don't fast. We, disciples of John the Baptist, that's what these group came in. That's what the disciples of John are. It's disciples of John the Baptist. They fast. And they're associating, they're, they're saying that, well, you know, we fast even against, even with our opponents, the Pharisees. Now, 
John the Baptist did fast. He was a very austere person. He was an aesthetic. He um, didn't eat, didn't drink, lived out in the desert, uh, very harsh. He was very harsh on himself physically. But I don't think they understood him. I think some people, I think the problem with John the Baptist's followers is that they, they didn't pay attention to his words. Because remember, Jesus using the word bridegroom. Where do we hear the bridegroom before? John the Baptist referred to him as the bridegroom in the gospel according to John. John referred to himself as the best man. And he rejoices for the bridegroom. He knew that he knew that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He called him the Lamb of God. He baptized him. And he referred to Jesus as a bridegroom. Meaning that Jesus himself has come to set up the new bride, the new Jerusalem, the new people of God who are going to be the bride, the believers. And now here they are. They're not, they're not happy because they seem to be blinded. You see, it's, it's interesting how they're not listening to John. There's a sect today in Iraq. It's a dying sect. Uh, they don't even allow converts. They, they're from Iraq and they claim to be descendants or disciples of John the Baptist, followers of John the Baptist. They believed that John the Baptist was the Messiah. They actually have, a, uh, it's a very corrupt Gnostic. It's a Gnostic sect. They believe in constant rebaptism. They're called Mendians. They're the oldest surviving Gnostic sect. There were many different sects that actually got corrupted. They probably could have contributed to something in Islam because since John the Baptist is mentioned in Islam, it's probably because of them. They completely are corrupted. They're a sect that is not exactly what you call, have communicated the message of John the Baptist correctly. John testified to Jesus. He testified who Jesus is. He saw Jesus and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he saw him again when he came back from the desert. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then two of John's disciples, one of them was Andrew and uh, Philip. And they went and followed him. They followed him. They, they found that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. They went and told Simon Peter. They went and told Nathaniel. They went and told everybody. And they found, they spent the day there listening to him, hearing him speak. They found that Jesus of Nazareth, the, the, the stepchild or, you know, adopted son of, of Joseph of Nazareth is the Christ, the son of God. And the, the Jesus is the bridegroom and Jesus at the time saying that there was no need for them to fast while he was with them. But after he's gone, they will practice fasting, you know, and you know, Jesus himself made it quite clear. The days are coming, you know, when they will fast, Jesus answered, they can't uh, answer them. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? No. 
The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast. He's speaking to them in the words that John the Baptist spoke to them. When they came, they complained to John the Baptist about Jesus' disciples baptized. Jesus didn't baptize anybody. His disciples baptized people. And he, they came and said, this one who you spoke about, he is also baptizing. Although that's not true. What they're referring to, they're speaking in broad strokes. It's really the disciples of Jesus, the apostles who were baptizing. Then John used the bridegroom analogy and referred to himself as the best man. They still didn't pay attention. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. They weren't good students. It's the reason why they didn't wind up followers of Jesus. Because only two of John's disciples, Andrew and Philip, I'm going to take a, a guess, Philip. I often have a hard time with the, with one of them. I know Andrew was, was a disciple of John the Baptist and he was one of the first disciple to follow Jesus. They, they understood him. They were, their minds were open. They were humble enough and they were eager enough to want to know. And they went ahead and followed Jesus. When those other disciples of John the Baptist came back complaining about Jesus, John used the analogy of, you should read it. It's really a, a, an interesting passage. It's very apocalyptic and very beautiful. John said, he is the bridegroom. I rejoice. He must increase while I decrease. And that's why John had to be arrested. John had to go because John knew that if he stayed around, he could overshadow, uh, he could be a problem to Jesus. He didn't want to be a problem for him. He didn't want to, who knows how many years he's been out there in the desert preaching. Who knows how many years he's been out there? We don't that we don't hear much. We don't hear a, the the story of John the Baptist. We only know that he in the desert preaching, he baptized Jesus. Came to him, baptized him, and then suddenly he's off the stage in a short a short span of moment. He must have you know he he must have been for years preaching and preaching and preaching and telling people to be prepared, but often people. Uh, like they had already had preconceived notion of what the Messiah is, what a preconceived notion of what a prophet should be. Not, you know, like God says, my ways are not your ways as the heavens are high above the earth. So are my ways above yours. And John the Baptist saw this problem. He saw it. He saw that people were not, were going to twist everything around. John didn't write a book. John didn't put everything down in writing, only a few words from John the Baptist throughout the Gospels have been preserved. And for probably for reasons the Holy Spirit did this because the 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 corruption, the corruption that the devil would try to do with the Gnostics, the secret knowledge people would do, um is is a, is very you know was very confusing. We saw this a lot after after the apostles the constant sects uh you know the different then there were different there were so many different gnostics and a lot of scholars today try to call them christians they're not they were they corrupted the faith with persian and 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 sorcery and secret knowledge i mean there was one about 
um, about where Mary Magdalene, Jesus said, I will send her away. And when she comes back, she'll be turned into a man. You know, I mean, that's, that's not Jesus. All that came afterward by these people's corruption. Just like you see this with the Jehovah Witnesses, the way they corrupted the scriptures. And then you see the Mormons, the way they corrupted the scriptures. And then you have a lot of other people. Like I, I have an article I want to read uh, sometime soon of the New York Times uh, talking about a lot of these people who made prophecies that Donald Trump was going to win, made predictions. And that's very dangerous. We should detach ourselves, not get too, att too det attached to politicians. I think we all got it. We all fell into that. And we all have to be very, very careful not to fall into that ever again. Politicians will be okay. But we should not make ourselves into fools, attach ourselves too much to them. Okay, be careful. I mean, the liberals attach themselves to the Bidens. And conservatives, we made a mistake, I think, attaching ourselves too much to Trump because he will come and he will go. Politicians, you know, are, you know, are constantly, they're politicians. Trump, I know, was never a politician, but still, we got to be careful. We got to be careful because it could take our eyes off of Christ. That happened in the first century, in uh, the fourth century with Constantine and the church became a state imperial church. And a lot of times people said that that corrupted the faith, that that muzzled the gospel a little bit because the church was so secure and so wealthy. And we see this warning in the book of Revelation. So we, fasting for us is always being aware and being on guard of political attachments, material attachments, social attachments, not being, being, what do you call, um, influenced by corrupt, bad teaching, by bad influences, social, whether any trend, we have to be on guard against that. We have to be constantly on guard against it. And these things can become idolatry and it could affect our relationship with Christ. That's one important thing about fasting is it's not just food. But it's also political and social trends. We got to be careful of those things. Fasting means always being on guard. Be, be on guard with politicians. Be on guard with popular, uh, charismatic, lead, uh, bad priests, bad, you know, um, people like James Martin people like any of them any of them like the lh la rack that 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 has all this um liturgical dancing effeminate men uh not you know not speaking out against sexual perverse sins all those particular things we have to be on guard these things can affect the faith and pollute the faith and drive people away and damage and destroy people's faith. Be on guard, be on guard constantly. That's why the book of revelation, Jesus talks about all these particular churches that have become rich too close to politicians, liberal or conservative can harm you too close with, with the colleges and campuses and universities where corrupt 
pollute, uh, polluted teachings come out, whether it's Marxists, socialists, or sexual revolution. That that is also something we have to be on guard and protect ourselves. Uh, not not become uh, in you know sports. I remember there was a priest he put on. Uh, uh, they, they decorated the whole sanctuary with 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 the their football team. That's dangerous. That's also dangerous. Um, priests trying to act like teenagers. I mean, what is that Filipino priest? You see him dancing with kids. They 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 try so hard to attach themselves to the culture that they want making fools of themselves. They got to be on guard of that. So fasting for us means could also mean be aware, be aware, be careful not to let your faith be corrupted and polluted. John the Baptist went out into the desert to get away from the influences, whether it's influences by the Sadducees, influences by the Pharisees, influences by the revolutionaries, those who want to, the, the, the ones who want to overthrow Rome. And influences from Rome and influences from local people. John John went out and people had to come out to listen to him. So a lot of his followers, some of them just didn't listen to him. They were attracted by his austereness. No different than the disciples of the Pharisees were attracted to their master because of their their power and control over the people. Notice how he he complained to the tax collectors. He criticized them. He criticized the tax collectors. He criticized the soldiers. He criticized the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He criticized the scribes, all of them, because each one of them have developed their own pagan idol. Each one of them have carved out a very healthy corner for themselves because they were all, because they, they, they're manipulating to survive. That's why Jesus called them brood of vipers. And if they got offended by that, but the fact is, the disciples of John wound up becoming like them. Not all of them, but some of them. So John himself made it quite clear. When Jesus came, he had to increase. And John realized, I have to decrease. So he took probably a very suicidal attempt, attacked Herod Antipas because of his immoral lifestyle, and eventually went into a territory where he finally got arrested. He had to get out of the safe zone, where you can say, I guess you can call it a sanctuary zone, and wound up getting arrested. And they finally put him in prison. And eventually he was taken to Herod's palace. But Herodias was very, she hated him. She hated him, but she colluded. She had friends on both sides. The Pharisees hated him and they wanted John dead. The Sadducees hated him because they knew who John was, and they knew that John was a, was a son of Zechariah, and Zechariah was a descendant of Aaron, and they wanted no competition in the priesthood. And not to mention, of course, there was probably a few other people that wanted him dead. So the opportunity came on Herod Antipas's birthday, and Herod lusted after Herodias' daughter, Salome. She knew that. The Sadducees knew that. Some of the Pharisees were probably at the party, who knows, and knew that. And so they decided to have the girl dance for him. And while he was in a drunken stupor, make sure he was drinking a lot, he made an oath. 
and she said he begged her, please dance for me and I'll give you whatever you want. She went to her mother and said, what should I ask? And she said, make sure to ask for the head of John the Baptist. Dance for him and make him beg you to take a gift. And she said, eventually, she got him where he where where they they got him where they wanted him to be, and that was, he made an oath in front of the public, and she asked for the head of the Baptist. He had no choice but to fulfill that oath because he was going to embarrass himself. And they and like Jesus said to the to the disciples when they came down on the from the Mount of Transfiguration, when they asked about what about Elijah must come first. And he said, John the Baptist was Elijah. He came first and he preached and they did with him whatever they wanted to do. And they understood what he meant by, because everybody knew that they colluded to get rid of John the Baptist. John only cared about one thing. And that was Jesus, 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 that Jesus that's why he wanted to make sure, he wanted to be sure for himself. There was no more. You are the one. John wanted to make sure that Jesus was the fulfillment of everything. That's why he said he must increase while I decrease. Christ was the center of John's attention. He was the center of John's mission. Not himself. And not his not his he didn't he didn't come to set up a trend or a religious movement as his disciples sometimes understood it that's why we got to be careful not to let ourselves be seduced by the world around us not to let our faith be corrupted by the by the world around us okay so let's end it here uh i'll be back for saturday's readings okay so let's say the our father hail mary and the saint michael prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wild, wicked attack of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember to subscribe and share. Uh, um, like I said, keep focusing on your Lent. Remember, everything fasting is about also breaking away, uh, detaching ourselves from things that could corrupt our lives, that can corrupt our faith, that get in the way. Let us be like John. Let us decrease with the world and increase in Christ. That's a good way of putting it, right? Decrease our attachments with the world. The world must decrease. Christ must increase in our lives. I think that's a pretty good title. <laughs> I'll try to see if I can fit it in. So God bless. And I'll be back with Saturday readings and blessed Lent, blessed fasting, grow in Christ. Amen.